Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome back to another episode of Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. Today is episode 24 of the podcast, and I'll be speaking today with Esther Goldstein. She is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and trauma specialist located in five towns of Long Island, New York, and she is the owner and operator of Integrative Psychotherapy. And uh, it was, this is a really great interview. I mean, they're all great, but this one was really fun to uh, chat with Esther. But before we get to that, uh, I like how on our website it says, and for the nitty gritty details, uh, so I'll, I'll share those with you now. She is a New York State licensed clinical social worker, as mentioned, and an EMDRIA certified therapist. She has a degree postgraduate trainings from Hebrew University Mashan Haruf Trauma Program. I hope that I pronounced that okay. The Institute for Contemporary Psychotherapy Trauma Program, Dialectical Behavior Therapy Training, Attachment Focused EMDR at the Advanced Level, Ego State Work, Parts Work, and the Structural Dissociation Model, Expression Arts and Sand Tray Therapy, Somatic Interventions Levels 1 two and three and sensomotor psychotherapy that she is currently engaged in it's a three-year training program and you'll uh, hear us talk about that program as well as one that I've completed which is complementary I find uh, somatic experiencing and so as mentioned um, Esther hails from New York and she talks about the five towns or she doesn't talk about it but it's on her website so I'm just going to read here that the five towns and surrounding areas of Nassau County, Long Island, New York, including Cedarhurst, Lawrence, Widmere, Inwood, Hewlett, Oceanside, Garden City, Manola, Rockville Center, Valley Stream, Merrick, Long Beach, Freeport, and West Hempstead. And there's a quote on her website, I think it was on her website, Finding Beauty Through the Pain. And so she uh, speaks a bit about the importance of why a potential client should take time to get to know their therapist and why she schedules weekly clients or biweekly clients. Uh, She mentions how for her, and I agree with this 100%, it allows uh, her and her client to deepen the therapy work and 
uh, holds the frame to helping them create the change that they seek. And I talk a little bit about how me being located in a rural area and specialized in working with children and youth and uh, broader population, including adults, uh, sometimes it's not realistic for me to do weekly or biweekly appointments. Uh, what else? She talks about the concept of a secure relationship and the dynamics that come into play between you and uh, the therapist and how that guides the work. I mean, I could just go on and on, but there's really no point because the episode is uh, very enthusiastic and uh, fun to talk about. And I'd love to hear your feedback on this and all episodes. If you go to parentingwhopodcast.com, there is a link to iTunes. And on there, there is a ratings and reviews section. And there is a click rating that is one to five stars. And you can also write a review on there. So we'd love to hear from you, Esther and I, and uh, also Pat, my producer, to know what it is that we can do to make this podcast even better for you, uh, things that maybe resonated with you that you found helpful. Uh, just let us know your thoughts. We really do want to hear them. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Esther. Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, so you're hailing from New York, is that correct? Yes, I am. Out yeah. in New York. Yeah. Awesome. And so do you want to tell me, Esther, um, I noticed that you're a licensed clinical social worker, uh, psychotherapist and trauma specialist, and your practice is known as integrative psychotherapy. And I just wondered if you could take a few minutes to chat with us a little bit about, uh, I don't always see the licensed clinical social worker with the psychotherapist. So I'm curious about that piece and then a little bit about your practice. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think the title sometimes make people wonder like, well, what is it actually? What's your training? And then what does that actually mean in real time in your office? Um, so, I mean, I think that like in terms of schooling, social work is like this broad umbrella. And then I think that what's wonderful about the training is that, you know, each person finds their own passion and what they're really good at. And so I guess the term psychotherapist more embodies like the kind of clinical work that I um, have been doing and that I'm passionate about, which is, and, and I'll talk more about it. It's the clinical piece and also like the trauma specialty piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So do you want to know a little bit more about my practice, who I work with, what my approach is? Where yes. Should I- yeah. Please, please share. Okay. So maybe I'll start like backwards and it will encompass everything. So you asked about like my practice name, right? Integrative psychotherapy. Yeah. Um, And so I'm less about a label, but I think sometimes a label could sometimes like give like a warm hug to all the components that are sometimes at play. And so I guess the word integrative um, to me speaks to like in working with clients that I work with in terms of psychotherapy, in terms of trauma work, it's really about like instead of saying like, oh, I don't like this part of myself or that part of myself, or I need to get rid of this memory or that memory. It's really about like um, picking up the pieces and integrating all the parts of selves, like Mm -hmm. the painful parts, helping those parts heal, um, because it's more of like being able to lean in and work with Uh um, the mind, the body, the spirit as a whole that I think what I've seen humbly um, in my life, but also with my clients' lives is really like when we help integrate 
then the person's able to, you know, lean into life and just experience the world in a much more wholesome way. So I would say like it's an integrative approach. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very self-compassionate and uh, focused on the self, which is such a big piece of the work that we do because people get so disconnected from that aspect, which really that is at the core of the therapy work, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I like when you say the word self-compassion because, you know, I think sometimes like when, you know, when we think about the word counseling, we think about therapy. I know your, your podcast name is also like hashtag like parenting who, right? So it's almost like sometimes we get woken up or we're shaken into, oh my goodness, I need help. And, um, and I just love how you talk about self-compassion, right? Because it's kind of like seeing the wake up calls or seeing like the urge to improve from a place of compassion instead of self-judgment. So right. yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. And so um, in your practice, is it just you? Is it a sole proprietorship or are there other practitioners in your practice? So actually at this point in time, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of different um, ideas. You know, there's been a big request in terms of expanding the practice. I have a vision for creating more of like a healing center because different ways that people heal more in like communities. But at this point in time, yes, it's me. And I, I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face because I, I, that's my son said to me the other day, he goes, mom, if you want a billion dollars, would you quit working? And I hesitated. And I said, if I want a billion dollars, I would create this gigantic like equine center that people would be bussed in and they would stay there and nobody would have to pay for anything. I think, you know, those concepts of healing centers as helpers, we really just want to help and, and heal, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful image that you presented. And I love the question your son asked. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's something about like, yeah, like being a healer, but then also holding like the space where we offer healing for our clients and also at the same time having a vision for what healing really is and like that desire, like you described of opening something bigger. So is there, do you have, is that somewhere in the books or are you? Or that- <laughs> well, it's only somewhere in the books if I win the, lo- the lotto. Okay. <laughs> Pay yourself for that, Yeah. That's my hope and dream, but it's one of those ones that, you know, it caught me off guard. And I think my hesitation in my response kind of caught me off guard because I was like, no, I wouldn't quit doing what I do. I love what I do. I'm super passionate about it. Um, Yeah. So it's one of those things I keep hoping and dreaming for. So who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But how beautiful though. How beautiful. It's almost like those small times where as therapists, sometimes we analyze, we're introspective, we listen to our own cues, but how beautiful to have like that reminder, you know, mm-hmm. like from a, a sideways question. And it's like, oh, actually, like, no, my heart and soul is in this. Oh, yeah. 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 No, even with all the money, the billions of dollars, I couldn't quit what I do. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of cool that way. Now, you touched a little bit on something. Uh, you talked about holding that space and, um, you talk also about in information on your website for prospective clients who are learning about you and learning about the style in which you practice. And you mentioned about the secure relationship, the concept of a secure relationship and the dynamics that come into play between you and um, your client. And so as a therapist, I understand what that means, but I just wonder if for the listeners, you could expand on that a little bit more. 
Oh, I'd love to. I love that you picked that up and I love that awesome. you put it forward. Um, yes. Yeah, so basically there is some part of my website that I, I wrote that, you know, I think I wrote something about like the dynamic that comes out between myself and my patient will, a lot of times will guide us, mm-hmm. um, or will like help support the work that we're doing. So yes, what yes. that means is basically right. There's the concept of attachment theory, um, which talks about, right, by John Bobley and Mary Ainsworth, which just talks about like how our early attachment years, our early developing years from when we come into this world, even before actually, um, and then throughout our childhood, adulthood, then we're developing patterns where we're creating a sense of identity, who we are, what we think we're allowed to do, who we become, um, what kind of expectations, you know, we expect for and responses from um, our love lives, people in our family, our friends. So sometimes in therapy, um, not sometimes, I say always, like the first few sessions, I always tell a patient, like, if you're always going to be on your best behavior and smile and say, thank you, Esther, this was a great session. I'm just going to like pull down, you know, the curtain and be like, what's really going on? Like, this space is a place where you have permission to get angry and you have a right to get upset and disappointed or frustrated or excited and, you know, and curious. And, and so what I mean is like, we invite all the parts that are at play in your relationship in real life to come into the therapy room because um, it's a safe holding space where I am, I'm not one of those therapists who's very rigid. You know, I have different therapeutic approaches, but I really believe in the creativity and really just opening that platform as wide and as soft and as strong as it needs to be for my clients to bring in like whatever needs to come up. And within the security of our relationship, we get to unpack and unfold and really help, you know, re repack the dynamics in relationships, which it's usually what comes up in life is the relationship with self, the relationships with others. So yeah, what I mean is basically like, we're going to look at the dynamic, like don't try to shove it away or think like, "Uh Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way about therapy. You know, like you could feel whatever you're feeling about therapy. That's actually part of the work and it's all invited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is really deep level work. Like I also noticed that you only book clients on a weekly basis. And so you, um, it allows for that deeper level work. And that's not to say um, my practice, I will see people uh, in other um, uh, arrangements. So not just weekly. And so, but I do know that the ones who commit to the weekly process or even bi-weekly, there is a deeper level that we can get to. And someone once explained it to me as, you know, I understood when I went into therapy that I was going to be climbing a mountain and had I not understood that I was going to be climbing a mountain through my therapy experience, I would have quit before I even made the first like three steps. And she said that when someone had explained it to her like that, cause it wasn't a client of mine, it was someone who just shared it with me. Um, she then understood that those hard times, those difficulties, all of those things that we're holding space for and opening that platform, um, she knew that she then was like had permission to kind of go there. And then she, you know, conquered that mountain and then had an amazing experience and was able to work towards that optimal living that she really desired for. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So kind of that knowledge ahead of time versus like I'm tumbling or I'm taking these Mm. steps. Where am I going? Like, but no frame. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because I do find that there is a big education piece around understanding what the therapy process is. And it's, um, you know, like people are at varying levels and when they seek out a therapist. And and the, the other goal for my podcast is to just have those broad conversations with other clinicians to be able to share their experiences, how their practices work, you know, just uh, doing as we did at the beginning, explaining sort of the social worker aspect versus psychotherapist, what that means. Um, and so tell me for you what it is and, and maybe just the design of the weekly appointments is um, what works best for your life balance. But what is it for you that had you seek that out in your practice? Okay, good question. Um, just, but it's just if I could hop onto what you said before and then I'll segue mm-hmm. into answering this question. I agree with you in terms of like, I think that, you know, um, I think there's something in terms of like educating the client how to maximize the therapy experience. Like, I think that sometimes like therapy is broad and so many different people, everybody has a different life story and a life process. And I do think part of the work is like, how can we help you maximize this experience? What will it look like for you? How do I help you be an informed consumer, but also like engaged in what you're um, spending time, energy, money on so you get maximum results? Like sometimes I will explain that whole piece and it really is personalized for each client because they all have such different you know, processes. So I do agree with you on that. Um, in terms of the once a week, I'll tell you what it is. It's that, first of all, just in terms of my, my personal work life, being a mom and also being a therapist, and I, and I do specialize in, in trauma treatment, which basically just means, you know, many people would say, um, I mean, there's like a percentage of people who are like, I don't have trauma. Like, I just don't feel comfortable in my skin. So it really doesn't matter what we call it. Yeah. You know, trauma just means that, right, there's like an overwhelming experience and it's not always about like being in a car accident. It could even just be, you know, not having what you needed. So there's like this quiet little like droplets of water of like not having the needs that you had as you were developing and just noticing that emptiness. So that can also be considered trauma. But what I found was with the work that I'm doing with people who either have anxiety, relationship issues, or if it is more complex trauma um, recovery that, you know, you know, I I had been flexible at different points in time, but I really want clients to maximize their healing and really be able to dive in at a pace that's right. And I noticed that for some of the clients, we kind of kept starting and then restarting again. And so the beginning of treatment, I say, like, let's Let's meet once a week. Let's get a sense of who you are. Over time, as client symptoms reduce, there's times that, you know, we're coming to- towards like a different form, a different frame for therapy, or if we're coming to termination, then I definitely will, you know, like drop down in the treatment. It really depends on the goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say probably with the clients I work with, I found most success in, you know, starting to solidify like a treatment frame and their goals and helping them feel relief when they came on a consistent basis from the beginning. It's kind of solidifying that platform and then moving from there wherever it needs to go. Well, and I think it's important that we talk about this because um, I want people to know if you're really motivated for change in your life, then there is that commitment, um, that commitment to be at appointments. There's the financial piece, um, which we haven't talked about that, but um, yeah. you know, people understand they can get reimbursement through insurance or not. But do you, just on a quick note, do you accept insurance or no? I do not accept insurance. Okay. Your no. cash. Okay. Um, well, I th- in the States, they call it something else. Um, 
fee, fee for service or what do you guys call it when you service? Um, yeah, I think what we call Adam network, but it could Adam be network. Fee for service. And then, I mean, there are some people who get, you know, really generous reimbursement from their insurance and some people don't, it really depends on their insurance company. Um, right. Yeah, so, um, and I just wanted to put that out there just if anyone was wanting to look you up at the end of our podcast today, but um, I do like just going back to, um, you know, having that conversation about the importance of weekly sessions. It's, and you, you said treatment, and that's key because therapy is treatment. And, you know, if you're going to have a wound care and looked at, there's going to be a process to that that physical wound, right? And so therapy is a process and um, it's different too. I mean, you're located in a highly populated area. I'm imagining um, it's Mm -hmm. a pretty busy area. I'm located in a more rural area and I have the specialties of working with adults as well as with children and the trauma piece. And there aren't a lot of us in my area that work with kids and so, um, and especially kids and trauma. And so um, I have to be a little more flexible in my practice so that's what works for me. Um, but I will say that in the years of business that I've been, it is the more, uh, the longer the relationship, the more consistency of appointments, you get to a different place in therapy. You get to that, that conquering the mountain piece that um, you don't get to when you're starting and stopping a lot of the time. So yeah, um, yeah, I love that you said that. I First of all, like I'm just grateful to you that you work with children and the trauma piece. I feel like the world needs more yeah. you know, therapists to have that finesse because you're working with parents, you're working with children, you're working with the brain, right, yeah. and the body. Um, the trauma on four modalities. Um, yeah, I think the piece on what you're saying about seeing it as treatment is that, you know, I don't know that I, that I had this approach from the beginning. I think it's a culmination of the blend of being a humble traveler of life, working through my own process, um, right? I think all therapists, like the, mm-hmm. as the home says, right, you can take your, ther- your clients as far as you've traveled. Um, I think also just looking at, like, I really am always curious about the data and not that I'm running a lab, but I really do look at, like, in what context do clients heal? What kind of symptoms are we looking to reduce? And what's the quality of life that we're leaning towards? Um, And you're right. Like, it is a treatment. If you're in a place, like, what I found is if people are going through... Um, different phases of life and they and they can't do the, the depth level work, that is totally okay. And it's almost sometimes like preferable to know like what can I do and what can I not do instead of being torn between I want to do the depth work, but I really don't have the ability, the time or the resources to do this work now. Um, but I've had clients who were basically like, I really can't do that. But you know what, like, can I reach back out at a different phase of life? And they have and then we really were able to dig into the work. So it definitely is like an investment. Mm-hmm. You know, investing in themselves, investing in the time, the financial investment. Um, and we know with like good investments, like it definitely pays back, right? Like the, the work that the client does together with therapy and, and their therapist really does um, impact all parts of life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so um, let's segue into the, you mentioned that you do the trauma piece. I mentioned that I do the trauma piece. Um, And so for you, you are currently doing the sense and motor training. And so I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about that. But you also are trained in EMDR, the I. Uh, what does it stand for again? Eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so is the sense of motor training you're looking to complement the EMDR work? Is that 
You know what it was? I love that you're asking. And I got so excited when I saw that you're, that you're trained in somatic experience. Um, what it is, is that, you know, like I think as therapists, we all go on this journey of like, how am I going to help my, you know, how, what's going to help me feel more equipped? How do I understand the way that the mind, the brain and the body works? And then what's really going to be effective, right? For, for my, for the people I'm working with. Um, and so, and, and there are pieces, of that is also like the therapist as a self, as a being. Like, what's the experience being in a training? What's the experience digesting the knowledge that that you're learning from different modalities? So, with trauma treatment, right? I mean, the latest treatments talk about like how our bodies, we have muscle memories, and our bodies experience a lot of um, experiences in life. And sometimes there's memories in there or reactions, right? And it's not always about the brain, mm-hmm. but more of a bottom-up approach. So I did get training in EMDR and I definitely use EMDR in treatment. Um, and at the same time, what I found, I actually had done like a few level intro trainings to some kind of somatic interventions. And it just felt like it really resonated for myself as a therapist when we had the, you know, the practicum it really just um, made a lot of things come together. So I am in this three-year sensory motor psychotherapy by Pat Ogden training. And simply what it is, is, you know, because clients say like, are you going to massage me? What's this about touch? And you want to know sensory motor, you know this too. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, it doesn't have to be touch involved. Um, it's actually less about touch. It's more about, right, the awareness and the mm-hmm. Tuning inward and the you know developing communication from the internal um, world to the external world, right? Mm-hmm. Like the mind body connection. So, um, so really, just like the slowing down, the the noticing, um, and then also some of the more advanced interventions are really helping to release and work through you know trauma or anxiety that's kind of trapped in the body that talk therapy just you know can't get through, can't get mm-hmm. through those. So. And is it safe to say, and I'm not sure if you mentioned it, we had a couple of, um, I don't think we actually cut out exactly, but there was a little bit of um, uh, noise on the on the connection. But um, as far as the EMDR, so do you, because I'm not trained in that, but do you find that for some clients or patients, it's just not, what, appropriate? It's It's like, what is your decision in terms of deciding to move forward with that treatment with someone or not? Good question. You know, because like EMDR has this like uh, shiny ringtone where people sometimes say, do EMDR and like all your issues will be resolved. And I think that like I always take a broader approach to EMDR. So there's definitely assessment measures that I will do with all clients across the board of like, what's the smartest way to help this person? Because right, what we know about trauma treatment, the first phase is really helping the person find a sense of stability, feeling safe in a relationship. So, and the second phase is processing trauma or even just processing like more tricky emotions. It's not necessarily boxy or linear, the process of healing. So EMDR in its simplest form is about taking a single incident trauma. Let's just make this very simple. So if somebody had a pretty much steady life and they were um, driving their bike and they were hit. Okay. And now they are, they've healed if they, you know, had a physical injury, but psychologically they still, you know, they're too anxious to go on the bike. They're having these flashbacks about being hit. So the work is basically you choose like a, you target that memory 
Mm-hmm. Right. And then you would, you know, ask about the belief of self and, you know, the worst part of the image. You find we're in the body, the body's holding that sensation of the trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you sometimes you'll ask as well, like, what would you like to feel instead? And it's just, and then you use bilateral, mm-hmm. um, which is be, that's just the basic concept of EMDR. Now, what I, in my training with EMDR, I remember sitting in my training feeling really uncomfortable. And I kept piping up every few minutes asking about like more complex trauma or what if like the trauma was in the relationship or what if it's about not feeling as safe in the body or what if it's less about like single incident trauma. And so with, with EMDR, like the way I use it and you know, that kind of propelled me to get more advanced training, even in using EMDR as just an emotional you know, resolution method. But it's re- you really, the way I see it is that EMDR alone is not a treatment method to just say, let's just target three different beliefs or images, and then you're going to feel much better. I really blend like the bilateral, which is like the tapping or right, the activation from the right part of the brain to the left part of the brain mm-hmm. um, into treatment, into what works. So yeah, so I would say some clients are not ready. Like if there, is, there was even a trauma, say there was one specific trauma, mm-hmm. um, and but the patient is feeling very anxious and panicky, then we might you know, first find a way to contain and put that memory or the images into something safe or where they they could dial down the intensity of how activated and strong it is in the mind and the body while we help them feel safer, you know, in the relationship. And then we might go back to doing the processing. But I really think it takes creativity. And I think it's important for clients also to know like, yeah, treatment is going to look different based on what you're needing. So to answer your question, a long answer to a short question, yeah, EMDR is not right for everybody. Some people don't even like it. And some people's minds and bodies just don't respond to it. And I think that that's totally okay. There's not one method for everyone. Yeah. And it's, um, it just wasn't training that I sought out. I, I was more familiar and the uh, somatic experiencing training happened to come into my area at a time that I was looking for trauma training. Um, and for me, it was uh, the, the, and the work that uh, Pat Ogden does definitely informs a, a, the SE work that Peter Levine does. Yeah. Um, and for me, I really, like you talked earlier about that slowing down the noticing, even the touch aspect of it. And for me, um, well, as you know, there's so much that we have to do as therapists throughout that process, because from one nervous system to another, if I'm coming in feeling all agitated and, you know, unsettled, then my client is going to sense that. And so when you talk about the touch, like that's an example of that, how, as a therapist, I need to be working on helping my nervous system settle through my life experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and it's funny because you sort of said something that made me think when I was sitting in the training, um, the, it, we came to the, um, the touch therapy, um, or the table work, they call it piece. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I was like, what? Cause anything to do with psychotherapy or psychology, it's, we're not trained in that. And, you know, yeah. to some extent it's even like really frowned upon. And, um, and so that training was an intense, I think it was six days. And I, by the third day I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And by the end of the week, I was like, I'm totally doing this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, and like you said, like it could just be that, um, 
um, there's a there's a containment that comes with that uh, intention in um, noticing. So, for example, you know, just the head aspect. Like, if someone, if we're working with the the upper head or the back of the head, like um, we don't even have to have that hands on. We can kind of work with intention. And so they do that in the training and they really show us the power behind that. Um, and for some people it's sort of like hokey pokey and it's, you know, they don't understand that and that's fine. Um, but for others, they've read up on it and they understand it and they yeah. come in, they come in requesting it. And so it's, you know, it's just, you have to have a bunch of tools in your toolbox as a therapist to be able to, like you said earlier, there's a, a unique way that you handle certain, um, assessments with clients and it's all about like what is it that you have training in and what is your scope of practice and how is it that you can help this person with what they're presenting uh to us Mm. yeah I like what you said about the somatic training because I think that like one of the pieces with any kind of healing right like back to the psychoeducation piece of really educating first giving knowledge and then letting the client you know resonate and digest with like what really fits is sometimes like, sometimes the thing that brings us to therapy is like, I have a certain view, I have a certain experience and I'm kind of getting stuck. Like there's certain corners that like I kind of want to clean out or expand. And I think sometimes knowledge is the first way to kind of stretching that, like making that a bit more rubbery than just like hard rock. And I think that with the somatic, like you're describing your process in the somatic training, um, I'm not anti-touch, right? But it's more of like even just explaining what touch, what mm-hmm. the somatic therapies are, really just explaining the ways that the brain and the body works. And just for the listeners, touch doesn't mean like massage. It could just exactly what you're saying, kind of be like a gentle, sometimes a therapist will put her um, hand gently on like the back of a client's shoulder, very mm-hmm. gently, softly, mm-hmm. or even just like holding up her hands, um, Right, even if there isn't physical touch, but really slowing down and tuning inward. And I do think some of the work is like in today's society, we, a lot of us are disconnected from our bodies and mm-hmm. we're kind of functioning from our minds. Um, but And because the hokey pokey piece, I guess I just wanted to go back to that because I'm the first person who's so cynical and so like, how is this even going to work? And then I kind of like practice being curious. And sometimes I say, you know, I got more knowledge. I'm going to put it down. It doesn't feel right. Or it's like, I got more knowledge and let me see if this is going to offer something. So I like how you said that, like, yeah, for every client, something else works. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, uh, it it was definitely, uh, I was like, I was anti-touch. I'm going to put it out there. I was absolutely anti-touch. And then um, well, even just getting to come back to there, there are sometimes clients will have experiences in our offices where um, it will be a complete collapse, like a complete emotional collapse for that person. And I there were, it didn't feel right not to put my hand on the shoulder. I mean, I ask, like I say, I'm going to come closer and, you know, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? And they say yes, and they can say no. And um, it's about helping to ground them also, right? Like the grounding and that you offer the grounding, even just in, in the chair or their feet on the ground, because they're having this really big emotional experience that we have to, in that secure space that we talked about, that containment, we have to, be there and support them through that. We can't leave them dangling and sort of feeling like they're flailing with this big overwhelming experience because that's not ethical either. 
Right, 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 right. And that's why I sometimes say like therapy is almost like a dance floor, like exactly what you said. There's always consent. So a client can always say like, don't come near me or don't mm-hmm. ever touch me. And that's totally okay. But there's definitely that attunement, right? Like I'm right here with you and your experience. So if I'm starting to lose you mm-hmm. or you're going far away, I'm going to do my best to help you come back into, you know, into the room, yeah. into your body. So yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, I just want to say for those who might be listening, it, it really is, it really is a beautiful experience to be able to support someone through the, the rawness of the emotions that maybe through the therapy process, they're finally able to just be with and be with in a safe way that they've never experienced before. And, um, you know, I don't want people to feel, you know, be scared off by, by me saying complete collapse because, um, it, it is part of, especially the trauma work too, right? Cause it's so complex. Um, but it yeah. really is, it, as a therapist, it, it really is a beautiful, uh, a beautiful experience. Yeah, it's definitely be- I wonder if you could almost like maybe explain what collapse means. Cause I wonder if like, sure. I wouldn't have known what collapse means. And a lot of us go into like the fight, flight, freeze or collapse. Maybe you can explain it. So we maybe demystify yeah. what it look like or what it might feel like. And then, yeah, what that. Yeah. What so for me, with my lens, my somatic experiencing lens, we're, we're watching for um, and observing sort of how the body is responding. So for example, like if you notice a shift in the eyes and you've been talking about a certain topic and then there's a shift in the eyes, you know that there's something that um, potentially is Uh, having an impact and it potentially is having a negative impact. And it also then we tied into, okay, well, what are you noticing in your body right now? Um, Because oftentimes they don't even realize that they've shifted their eyes. And I'm just using that as an example. Um, So I'm calling attention to, okay, something, something shifted, something changed when we brought up, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then asking them like noticing in their body. For some people, depending on where we're at or where they're at and how they're coming into the therapy process, um, a complete collapse now on the extreme end could actually be they're on the floor and they're they're in that like fetal position and um, they're, they're crying, but just know that this isn't something that would happen at the onset of therapy. As a trauma therapist, we're working up to doing this more difficult, this depth work, like you called it earlier. And so we have to build their window of tolerance to be able to be in that really intense emotional space. But um, the collapse piece could be, and it doesn't happen often, like it takes a lot of therapy and a lot of motivation for the client, but it could end up being someone being on the floor. And like I said, in that fetal position and, you know, maybe rocking back and forth and really letting out the emotions. And, you know, it could be in the form of screams and yells and tears. And um, it's, I guess you could say just a really big emotional experience. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I love that you're explaining that. Yeah. I think that like, cause sometimes walking into therapy, people don't know what therapy is going to look like. And I like how you just explained, like it could be even a shift in the eye gaze, um, mm-hmm. right. Like a shift in the body language, um, or the energy or the tone, or maybe even uh, like farther along treatment being, yeah, like on the ground and maybe being in somewhat of a fetal position, but still expressing something. And I think that what you're talking about is, right, you're saying like it, part of the therapy, like less about it being frightening, more about like 
how beautiful that in a safe, secure holding environment, the body and the mind can express and actually work through mm-hmm. things that were trapped in the body. Because as you're describing, what I'm hearing is actually an expression, which I, I sometimes say it isn't about like a one magical session, but there are some sessions that are really you know, have a power and really chip away at the layers of defense or discomfort and really help heal those, you know, unspoken wounds. So yeah, thank you for explaining it. Cause I think sometimes people could be confused what that might look like. Yeah. It's actually part of the healing and it is actually the core depth level healing you're talking about. Um, because for the body to feel safe enough to go and express it in a secure place and then to be able to come back to it, mm-hmm. you know, grown up self and integrate into, you know, life a little better one step mm-hmm. at a time. I think that is beautiful work. And as you said, like, it's a humbling, um, powerful experience for therapists to be able to do that with our clients. Yeah, so. that's what we're trained for. We may not always get there and that's okay. But yeah. um, and like the biggest piece is oftentimes they don't feel as stuck when they leave. Now they may not feel that very day. It may take a couple days of, you know, integrating that experience, but oftentimes there will be that follow-up session and, and others after that, that they'll notice a real shift in that, what they came in with, which was this stuckness. And they'll notice that that processing through the body and just being with, you know, so I talked about the shifting of the eyes that is an example of like the sympathetic nervous system activating and feeling a sensation in the body that sometimes will go at that moment and search for the drink or go to that online gambling or go to that unhealthy relationship as a way to escape the sensation in the body. Whereas in the office as a trained professional, I'm noticing that that's happening and I'm supporting the movement of the uncomfortable sensation. Again, we're working up to this. This isn't like in the early stages of therapy. Um, And I'm helping to release that stuck. And that's when sometimes you'll see a full on collapse like that. Yeah. But how beautiful that you're talking about that, right? It's the the places where people might, you know, unconsciously re-traumatize themselves. And that's the work, right? Where you're doing that, you're bringing it to awareness. So there's a shifting of that stuckness. And yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool work for sure. Uh, so Esther, I know that um, you mentioned also doing inner child work. And I'm not sure, do you always blend that with the EMDR? Or is it separate? Or it just depends? It actually blends really well. And just because um, I'm actually doing a training for other therapists about good trauma treatment. And I'm, I talk a lot about, and I'm going to be talking about actually how you blend EMDR with um, with inner child work, with parts work. So when it isn't, it's more in like using EMDR in a more holistic, creative way. Mm-hmm. So for people who are comfortable with a bilateral um, uh, I will a lot of times use it. It really depends. But sometimes it's part of treatment, sometimes not the EMDR piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those who are listening, uh, inner child, I mean, it's it, for you and I, we understand what that means, mm-hmm. but it touches a little bit on what you talked about earlier, which was the attachment work that you do and the, the developing patterns, who we are, who we become, the expectations, responses, and relationships. And so um, as a parent, and this also is part of my, so the, the hashtag parenting who and the question mark was really about, you know, I envisioned a parent sitting in a computer 
you know, feeling frustrated maybe about the behavior of their child and looking at parenting, but then realizing through some of the stuff that they were uh, reading that maybe there was some stuff that was from their childhood, their inner child, that they were um, behaving in maybe just in their... uh, their discipline styles with their kids that they realized, okay, well, maybe I'm doing this because this is what was happening to me, but I didn't like it. And so starting to really look into self and um, that way. And so then you also mentioned parts work and that's very much tied into doing inner child work as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I love how you're describing, right? Sometimes it's kind of like the parents who I see, and it sounds like you're referencing that even in your podcast. So thank you for putting it out there. Um, Because we all have those parenting moments, but there's definitely times where people might say, you know, I'm going to every parenting class or I'm reading every parenting book and there's trainings, but like there just isn't a shift or there's something that's kind of stuck and I just, I can't work through it. And you just, right, you just mentioned this really important piece where sometimes it's actually something internal in the parent that's impacting their stance and how they are relating to their children. So that is a big, um, an important element to look at when, you know, the basic parenting strategies aren't necessarily being effective or if like you're just not able to implement the strategies that you're hoping to mm-hmm. and stuck in this loop. Yeah, it is, it is a bit of a loop. And um, I think, well, I, I said discipline because I find that's a big one because, you know, different generations of parents had different ways of disciplining and it was based on you know their parents and their generation and disciplining you know things have evolved so much over the years and so um that's that's a big one but what are some other things if something comes to mind for you when I ask this question um that others might come to see you about in terms of parenting and their desire to change or shift something yeah so sometimes somebody might call in and say you know do you work with little children or, you know, I've been to therapy before, but I was kind of okay. And now I have like this child or I'm a parent or, you know, I'm having something going on at home with my family and I'm kind of just like, you know, hitting my head against the wall. And there's something about like what I hear in, in the voice of the parent, which is kind of like um, this, this, it might sound like desperation, but essentially it's a commitment and a passion because there's like this commitment of, can I give my children a really good life? Like, that's what my life is really all about. And if I'm struggling, like, please help me. So what sometimes happens is, well, what usually happens is um, we start looking at like, where there's that frustration, where's the hiccup, where like, if you use the word discipline, we could look at that. But really what's happening as we unfold, like from the noise and the chaos, but we really look at, you know, what's the infrastructure of how the family's functioning, um, what the boundaries are, how, you know, love is shared. And like you said, what, what discipline looks like, because there needs to be some kind of form of, you know, teaching and limits. And then, you know, what happens when you don't do the right thing at home. And so sometimes what we notice is that actually it's more of, um, of the parts of self. So kind of, I'll give an example, like if a mom is having a hard time, you know, like her child is misbehaving or the children are not listening and she kind of gets like very um, harsh and cold, kind of like switches very quickly into a much colder part of self or gets very dismissive. And she's like, I see the sadness in my children's eyes and I'm just not able, I don't know how to let them know I love them. And also they're making not a good choice. And, you know, and to, And so part of the work is basically what's happening. And this is also longer in treatment, but sometimes like 
um, the patient will identify like actually like my, that's how I felt right when I was young and I did the wrong thing. That's how my parent engaged with me. And so without wanting to, and even though I made a promise to offer my child a healthier way of living or a different form of discipline, so to speak, I'm going there because there's no other frame of reference. And so the work really is first offering healing and doing some of that reparative inner work with that child inside who was kind of left alone or is, you know, shut down um, and, and really helping to heal. You know, sometimes parents say like, I feel like I'm parenting, like I have my children and then I have like my own inner child. And the work is really about like when we actually tend to the inner child, that's really asking for your love and care and just a more gentle approach then the capacities to tolerate and then be there to offer love and discipline and boundaries and compassion for your own children just is a much more gentle process once you do that work internally. Well, and I think it takes the question out of why am I having a hard time? I'm getting harsh, cold, dismissive. There's this like confused state that they're in because like you were saying in the example that you talked about, um, they can see uh, that mom can see the sadness in their child's eyes, but this is what they're, they're feeling. And so it's a confusing state to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when they sort of work that through and they understand where it comes from, it gives that context that when it comes up again, you know, as it's integrating and as they're uh, doing that reparative work to heal that, um, they can notice, right? There's the, this, the SE or the sense of motor stuff. They can notice that, oh, there it is. And then be curious about, okay, um, what, what sort of triggered that? And, you know, maybe it was the look in their eyes that triggered that. So there's a lot of awareness that has to happen when you're doing that kind of work as well. Yeah. 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 Like how you, yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah, but it's very, it's very, very powerful, and it really does help to, um, like you talked about commitment and passion. It really does help to come bring the parent full circle back to their commitment and passion, passion as a family, as a parent raising children, uh, where they maybe felt like they were going off the rails at one point because parenting is hard. <laughs> It's so hard. It's hard. Yeah. I've got two, um, uh, two teenagers yeah. myself. Yeah. 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 And I, I almost like, I think there's two pieces that I, if I can comment on, like one of them, as you said, like even just slowing down, which is what we do in therapy and noticing, right. The, the somatic piece of, um, of like what happened in that moment. And I think, you know, sometimes even just for the listener, but setting really realistic expectations for healing and for change and for growth, it's not all of these like beautiful examples we might be describing in one conversation, but really like sometimes I tell a client like, you know what, the goal for treatment first is really to even just notice those triggers or notice mm -hmm. when you started feeling like the anger or the frustration or the wanting to run away, you know, like the noticing, I notice my child's sadness or the disconnect, right? So that I say is like the first step. We're not expecting like perfect parenting, first of all, ever, but we're not expecting big shifts because we know it's like the small conscious awareness um, that creates shift. And sometimes clients actually bring their own incredible insights and wisdom that really push the process when they start expanding, you know, that the noticing and, and identifying and coming up with creative um, shifts. So yeah. it's definitely that. And the parenting piece that you and I are basically saying parenting is hard. You know, I had written an article a while ago and sometimes I'll just put things out and some things get like a lot of, you know, people will shoot me emails thanking me and other ones resonate less with society, I would say. But there was one on parenting and I basically put in a quote of how like, 
parenting um, really is an opportunity for us to like, you know, it kicks up things, but it really is an opportunity for us to experience a much deeper level of healing and a much more fulfilling experience of life. And, and I think something like when we're saying about hard, I think the things that are hard that we sometimes don't even realize we're choosing sometimes give us the gift of really, um, it's painful, but also the gift of when we do that work, experiencing life in a just in a more humble, but almost in a more richer way. So. Absolutely. It's like you're looking through a lens that it just enriches all the colors and the textures and all the experiences around you. And it, it really isn't, and you know, we're, we're biased because we are a therapist, but um, I do believe that that's, I, I often say there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow because um, you know, would you choose to walk through the world with that kind of lens on, you know, like I sure would, if I knew that was a possibility, if I had to do some yeah. hard work, you know? And yeah. um, so it's really, really fantastic. And, uh, and uh, I think I, I also hope too, that for those listening, it, that demystifying the therapy process is really another goal for my podcast, because, um, you know, there might be scary ideas or people will, will share their scary experiences or, you know, sometimes they're, you don't have a good fit with their therapist. And so they'll say that to someone and then people will run with it. And it really, you know, that we didn't talk about that, but that's also something that you talk about on your website about how, um, you know, the, the importance of why a client should take time to get the, to know their therapist. That's part of, uh, of the role that you play in helping them at the beginning of therapy to understand that that's a piece of it. Um, but yeah, that's my hope is that people can realize there's, there's ups and downs, but there really is that beautiful sort of, um, way of looking and living life once you've worked through some of your stuff. Yeah. Great. I love how you just mentioned that piece of the fit. Yeah. I think that therapy is meant to be just like exactly what you're saying from the beginning, middle to the end, like you're saying about healing is really about, um, as a client, just knowing like, this is your choice. This is part of you empowering yourself and then taking the best care that you can. And yeah, reaching out to a therapist who can actually support you in that and, you know, trusting what feels right along the process from choosing a therapist and then throughout the process and then speaking up. Um, and building that work for yourself. I agree with you. Well, Esther, we're coming to the end of our time today, and it's been really lovely to chat with you. We covered a lot of things over our time today. Um, I'm just wondering if you can share with the listeners a great way for uh, people to get in touch with you. I would say the best way to reach out to me is through my website, which is integrativepsych.co, so integrativepsych.co. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have like a blog that I'm, I've been writing a lot about. So people sometimes follow me for, you know, information along their healing process. And if they have any questions, they could shoot me an email through the contact page. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. And one question I forgot to ask, but do you do online therapy as well? Or do you only do in-person work? Um, I prefer in-person work in some instances. And when it feels relevant, I have offered online therapy. So. Okay. So your practice is mostly in person and um, people can get a hold of you from your website, which I will put in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. This is such, a, such an enjoyable conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks very much. Okay, Esther, take care. Thank you. You too.
Thank you for joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.